But Genesis chapter 50. You know, we've spent a lot of time studying uh, Jacob, and Jacob has taught us so many lessons. He's, as you know, in Genesis, he's my favorite of the patriarchs. I love studying uh, Jacob, and I love the fact that God calls himself the God of Jacob, because you see in Jacob a man who was certainly not perfect, a man who was messed up and dysfunctional in so many ways, and yet the grace of God moved and worked in Jacob's life, and God used him in an amazing way. Way. So we've learned a lot from Jacob, but Jacob has one final lesson that he's going to teach us this morning. Jacob, in this final lesson, is going to teach us how to die. So on uh, Valentine's Day weekend, you got sexual immorality, and on Mother's Day, you're getting death. How about that this morning, you know? Um, only at Lenexa Baptist do you get these kind of blessings, so... Uh, but there is a tie-in to Mother's Day, so bear with me. But you know what? It's interesting with this passage. And God gives us, when you look into chapter 49, God gives us about 93 verses on Jacob's death. And most of the time when somebody dies in Scripture, Scripture doesn't speak to it very much. And yet God gives us 93 verses when we get to Jacob. And you know what I think? I think it's because God's got something he wants us to see right here. He got something he wants to teach us. So let's just read this passage together and then, we'll, and then we'll work our way through it. Look with me, beginning in verse 29 of chapter 49. It says, Then he charged them and said to them, I'm about to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that's in the field of Ephraim the Hittite, in the cave that's in the field of Machpelah, which is before Mamre in the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought along with the field from Ephraim the Hittite for a burial site. There they buried Abraham and his wife Sarah, and there they buried Isaac and his wife Rebekah, and there I buried Leah. The field and the cave that is in it purchased from the sons of Heth. When Jacob finished charging his sons, he drew his feet into the bed and breathed his last and was gathered to his people. Chapter 50, then Joseph fell on his father's face and wept over him and kissed him. Joseph commanded his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father, so the physicians embalmed Israel. Now, 40 days were required for it, for such is the period required for embalming, and the Egyptians wept for him 70 days. When the days of mourning for him were past, Joseph spoke to the household of Pharaoh, saying, If now I found favor in your sight, please speak to Pharaoh, saying, My father made me swear, saying, Behold, I'm about to die in my, uh, in my grave, which I dug for myself in the land of Canaan. There you shall bury me. Now, therefore, please let me go up and bury my father, and then I will return." And Pharaoh said, go up and bury your father as he made you swear. So Joseph went up to bury his father, and with him went up all the servants of Pharaoh, the elders of his household, and all the elders of the land of Egypt. And all the household of Joseph and his brothers and his father's household, they left only their little ones and their flocks and their herds in the land of Goshen. There also went up with them both chariots and horsemen, and it was a very great company. When they came to the threshing floor of Atad, which is beyond the Jordan, they lamented there with a very great and sorrowful lamentation, and he observed seven days of mourning for his father. Now when the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, saw the mourning at the threshing floor of Atad, they said, this is a grievous mourning for the Egyptians. Therefore it was named Abel Mizarim, which is beyond the Jordan. Thus his sons did for him as he had charged them. For his sons carried him to the land of Canaan and buried him in the cave in the field of Machpelah before Mamre, which Abraham had bought along with the field for a burial site from Ephron the Hittite. 
And after he had buried his father, Joseph returned to Egypt, he and his brothers and all who had gone up with him to bury his father. Father, we ask you to study or to bless the study of your word this morning. We just declare to you at the beginning, it's the reason we bow our heads, it's the reason we pause here at the beginning, it's because we know we need you. We're asking you, Lord, to make this word alive to us today. God, I, I don't know every individual that's here this morning. I don't know all those individuals that are watching online this morning. But you do. And all of us today don't need a word from me. We need to hear from you. So we're pleading with you, speak. Speak into our hearts. Convict us where we need conviction. Encourage us where we need encouragement. But God, I pray, my prayer is that all of us this morning would leave here changed. Because we met with you. We heard your voice. And we were drawn to yourself. Lord, bless this time. And bless your word. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. So Jacob teaches us a lot about death. And I just want to give you some of the things that I think are very clear from this passage. Number one, I think it's very, very clear that for Jacob, death was going home. That for Jacob, death was going home. You see it in verse 29. He says to Joseph and his brothers, I'm about to be gathered to my people. In other words, he's saying to his sons, I'm going home. I'm going to where I belong. In the New Testament, Paul called it a a departure. You remember in 2 Timothy Chapter 4, Paul said, the time of my departure is near. He said in Philippians chapter 1, I desire to depart and be with Christ. That word depart, it was a term used uh, when troops would, would, when the war was over and the troops would lay down their weapons and they'd, they'd stop fighting and they'd go home and they'd rest. That's what death was for Jacob. That, that's what death was for Paul. It was going home. It was a departure You know, when you think about it, life is a series of departures. We depart from the womb when we're born. We depart from our parents when we get married. We depart to schools. We depart to to different jobs. We, We depart to different homes. But there's one last final departure, and it's the departure of death that through faith in Jesus Christ leads us to our eternal home. That was Abraham, that was Isaac, that was Jacob, just strangers, just sojourners, a constant journey, didn't really own anything except this little cave, but waiting on that moment when they would go home to be gathered with their people, with God's people, and with the Lord himself. And I I was reminded as I was studying this of the, the mother who had a son who was terminally ill with cancer. And as the cancer progressed, one day, little boy asked his mom, Mom, what is death like? And the mom paused and she just prayed, God, give me wisdom. And she responded to that little boy. She said, you know, you know those days when you go outside and you run and you play and you just wear yourself out and then then you come inside and you fall asleep on the couch? And then the next morning, You don't know how, but suddenly you wake up in your own bed. Because you didn't know it, but when you fell asleep, 
your father came with his loving, strong arms, and he carried you to where you belong. And she said to that little boy, that's death. You fall asleep. Jesus comes and picks you up, and he takes you home. One day, all of us will take our final breath. And for those of us who have trusted in Jesus Christ, our personal Lord and Savior, at that moment, Christ will pick us up and he'll carry us home. John 14, in my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go away to prepare a place for you. If I go away to prepare a place for you, I'll come again to receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may also be. Jesus said, I'm preparing a place for you that one day I'll come get you and you can get to be with me. You'll be home. You know, I, uh, thinking about this, I have, since I was really little, there have been very few days, I can't think of any, in fact, where I ha- a day hadn't passed and I hadn't talked to Jesus. And I don't know about you, but so often in my walk with the Lord, I have just wished I could physically sit with him. See, right now we talk with Jesus and we, we commune with him, we fellowship with him by faith, don't we? As Paul said, we look through a glass dimly. But one day we're going to get to see him face to face. And then we'll be home. You know, Fanny Crosby, one of the greatest hymn writers that's ever known, she had one hymn that was never published. She referred to it as her soul's poem. She was at a Bible conference one day in Massachusetts with D.L. Moody. And D.L. Moody asked her about her, her personal faith in Christ, about her walk with the Lord. And she was somewhat hesitant, but then eventually she stood up. And she said, there's one hymn that I've written which has never been published. She said, I call it my soul's poem. Sometimes when I'm troubled, I repeat it to myself or it brings comfort to my heart. And then she recited it. And this is what she had written. Someday the silver cord will break, and I no more as now shall sing. But oh, the joy when I shall wake within the palace of the king. And I shall see him face to face and tell the story saved by grace. You know, Fanny Crosby was blind. She was born blind. Do you know what she rejoiced in? She rejoiced in the fact that the very first face she would ever see would be the face of Christ. She rejoiced in going home. That was Abraham. That was Isaac. That was Jacob. He looks at his boys and says, don't you worry about me. I'm going home. I'm going to be gathered with my fathers. Secondly, we see that Jacob's death was a testimony of his face, of his faith. He again, we see here, he's already done this to some extent, but he gives these really specific instructions about how he wants to be buried. Very interesting. Very specific burial instructions. I want to be buried. Make it known. I want to be buried in that cave in the field of Machpelah. 
And that place, you know this, we've already looked at it with Abraham, is incredibly special to them. You remember Abraham had, or God had promised Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, made him a great promise that I'm going to make you into a great nation. Through you and through your seed, all the nations of the world will be blessed. But an integral part of that blessing was what? It was a blessing of a land. There was a blessing that I'm going to give you land. What's ironic about that? is through the majority of Abraham's life, he never owned any land. And at the end of his life, he only owned a little piece of ground, didn't he? Here's this man who had been promised this great piece of ground. We refer to it as a promised land. But he'd been promised this land, and he only owned one little cave. He bought it from the Hittites, you remember? They wanted to give it to him. He said, no, sir, I'm going to buy this. I'm going to own it. Why was that so special to Abraham? Why was it so special to Isaac? Why was it so special to Jacob? Because Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob wanted the world to know that we are trusting in a God who is always faithful to his promises. And in their death, it was a testimony to the faithfulness of God that we might not see it with our eyes, but we're trusting that God will bring it to fruition in his time and in his way. And don't you know this, this kind of family shrine that was out in this remote field? People would walk by it. The Canaanites would walk by it and say, those crazy Israelites trusting in a God. All they own is that little cave. And they must have been a joke until about 500 years later. And God delivered them out of Egypt and brought a whole bunch of them and they occupied that land that God promised. Folks, that's us. We die in faith. We die giving testimony to a God who is always faithful to his promises. And he has promised us that he has prepared a place for us. He has promised us an inheritance that's imperishable, that will not fade. And we go to our grave trusting in that. And the world looks at us as if we're crazy. And we might look foolish right now, but one day when Christ returns, guess what? We won't look so foolish anymore. But we die in faith. Our lives, even in our death, we give testimony of the faith that we have in Christ. Our confident expectation that we will be with him forever. Our death ought to give testimony to our faith. And I've heard about people being buried with their putter. You've heard me tell that story before. I thought, goodness, it was a good putter. I could have used it, you know. He's going to need it no more. Uh, but, you know, we, people have been buried in their cars, You know, how you die and how you're buried says a lot about what you believed. You want to learn a lot about somebody? Go to their funeral. You'll find out. You know, far too often I'm going to funerals, I hear very little about faith. hear very little about Christ. Jacob said, boy, I'm going to be very specific about my death and burial because I want to make sure that even in my burial, I'm giving testimony to God and my faith in him. You know, Charles Spurgeon, he went to a church, primitive Methodist church, on a snowy Sunday. It was so snowy, it was so rough that even the pastor couldn't make it. And there was a cobbler, not a preacher, cobbler who was, you got to preach. Somebody's got to preach the word. 
This cobbler got up and preached. I think he preached the only verse he probably knew, Isaiah 45, 22. Look to me, all ye nations of the earth, and be saved. And Charles Spurgeon was sitting there. There weren't many people there. And I think this guy just probably thought he's the only guy here that I don't know, so he's probably lost. And Spurgeon said he pointed that bony finger at me and yelled as only a primitive Methodist preacher can do. He yelled at me, and he said, Look unto the Lord and be saved. Spurgeon ran out of that church. He felt the conviction of God, and he went home. And he trusted in Jesus Christ as his personal Lord and Savior. But if you know Spurgeon's story, you'll know that at his death, he gave very specific instructions. You know what he said? He said, when I die, you place me in that casket. And he said, I want an open Bible on my chest. I want it open to Isaiah 45, 22, and I want you to take my finger and point to that verse. Because even in my death, I want the world to hear what I heard. Look unto the Lord, all ye nations, and be saved. Will your death, will your funeral, will your burial give testimony to your faith? Thirdly, we see that God is sovereign over Jacob's death. In verse 33, when Jacob finished charging his sons, he drew his feet into the bed and breathed his last and was gathered to his people. As I, as I read that, I thought, boy, that's kind of about the way I'd like to go. You know, you just curl up in bed and, and go to sleep. But the picture, the bigger picture that we see here is that God is sovereign over Jacob's life and God is sovereign over Jacob's death. Psalm 139 says this, your eyes have seen my unformed substance and in your book were written all the days that were ordained for me when as yet there was not one of them. Do you know this today? That the day of your death, the moment of your death is ordained by God. God has perfectly ordained the timing of your death for his plan, for his purposes, and for his glory. And I don't know about you, but I don't want one more day than what God has allotted for me. That God is sovereign over my birth, and he's sovereign over my death. So what we see here is that Jacob served the purposes of God in his generation as David, as it was said of David, and then he fell asleep and he was gathered to his fathers. God took him home. Isn't this great to know, though, that God is sovereign over our death? Listen, as I was thinking about this, if God is not sovereign over my death, if, if if my life, in fact, is not under the sovereign control of God, if my life is just left to circumstances and chance, then I'm not sure I'd ever leave the home for fear of what might get me. That I could have a little clot go into my lungs, it'd be over like that. I could drive home this afternoon, no telling what kinds of things that could happen to me to take me out. And I think I'd just live in constant fear of death. But the good news for the believer in Jesus Christ today is that God is sovereign over your life and your death. And in many ways, you're invincible until you have served the purposes of God in your generation. And so we are not a people, listen to me, in a world right now that is scared to death of death. We're to be a people who have a confident hope in a sovereign God who has ordained the day of our death. Now this doesn't mean we're dumb. We don't put God to the test. We don't go jumping out in front of cars. But listen, we will not be afraid of death. Because death is not sovereign over my life. God is sovereign over my life. And the only thing that we need to be afraid of is not death. The only thing we need to be afraid of is not being faithful to God. And then let God be God. 
and let God determine the timing of our death. God is sovereign over Jacob's death. Then we see not only that, but Jacob's death, at his death, there's mourning, there's grieving, immense mourning and grieving. You see it in verses 1 through 3. You see there that Joseph weeps, he falls on his face, he kisses his father. Verse 3, the Egyptians wept for this guy. Now this is interesting, basically it's saying that believers and non-believers alike wept over this guy's death. And we don't know, Scripture doesn't give us a lot of detail about what Jacob did in those 17 years that he lived in Egypt, but it is apparent on the basis of their mourning that he had impacted this community in such a fashion. Basically, you remember God said, through you all the nations of the world will be blessed. Basically, Jacob lived in a pagan foreign land in such a fashion that he became a conduit of God's blessings into a pagan world. Can I ask you, is that your life? That even those who may not agree with you theologically, they might not even believe in Christ, would say of you, I may not agree with him on this Jesus stuff, but I'll tell you this, when that person leaves, there's going to be a void here in our workplace because they brought such the blessing of God into this place. That was Jacob, brought the blessing of God. Even the Egyptians mourned. And in verse 10, they lamented there with a great and sorrowful lamentation for seven days. In fact, the Egyptians mourned for 70 days. That's too short of how long they lamented for Pharaoh. I mean, this was a great mourning. The Canaanites even comment in verse 11, they they saw the grief. This is a great, this is a grievous situation for the Egyptians. And the question is, why are they crying? Why is there so much grief? Well, I think it's apparent on the basis of two things. Number one, they grieve because death is ugly. In our culture, we have sanitized death. But death is an ugly thing. Death is bad. Death was not a part of God's original plan. Death is not as this world was intended to be. Death is not a part of how things will be. Death is a product of sin. You'll remember the wages of sin is what? It's death. Death is a marring of the image of God on our lives. It's ugly, it's bad, and in in its presence, there should be grieving and mourning. You remember it was Jesus who wept at the tomb of his good friend Lazarus. I mean, can you imagine this Jesus who is the author of creation? He was there when Adam was made. He saw the beauty and the glory of God's creation. And now as he stands in the presence of the death of of Lazarus' decaying body, it'd be like taking a masterpiece and just destroying it. And he sees this beautiful creation that God has made for his glory and he sees it marred by decaying death. And it says he was emotionally and deeply hurt. He cried. He wept. And listen, if Jesus cried, if Jesus wept in the face of death, then I don't think it's beyond us to shed some tears in the face of death. Tears in the face of death is natural, it's normal. It's a part of how God designed us. But secondly, I think they they grieve because someone who has impacted their life in such a profound way is now gone. 
Their tears are a demonstration how much Jacob was loved and honored, not just by his family, but as I just mentioned, by the Egyptians. This man had made such an impact on the world around him that believers and non-believers are crying, are grieving. I think the picture here is that Jacob was the aroma of God wherever he went. And in the presence of his passing, there is now a void. And I think, and we don't want to spend a whole lot of time here, but I do believe, folks, I do believe that if we have done our job, if we have been the aroma of Christ in our homes, in our families, and in our communities, that when we pass, there will be a void and people will cry. And so here, this man who had had impacted his world in such a profound way, there's grieving. But let me remind you as well that we do not grieve as those who have no hope. You know, Paul does not say, don't grieve. He says, don't grieve as those who have no hope. We have the hope of Jesus Christ. And finally, I want us to look at two things that Jacob's sons did in light of Jacob's death. So Jacob has passed, and two things, very quickly. One, they honored their dad. Jacob died, and it says in verse 12, when it came to his funeral, thus his sons did for him as he had charged them. Now, this family, we all know this. We've been studying them for quite some time. This family had all kinds of dysfunction and disunity. But God appears here at the funeral of Jacob, has brought them together in unity, and they honor their father. These boys, there's been all kinds of generational lying and betrayal, a a disunity between father and sons. And now we see, finally, these boys are obedient to their father, and they honor him. You say, boy... Yeah, that's great. They did it at the funeral. But I guess better late than never. They finally come together in unity and they honor their father. And scripture tells us that that in order to bring blessing to your life, honor your father and your mother. That God has given us the key to family life in that fifth commandment. It's why Paul said in Ephesians, it's the first commandment with a promise. If you're a child here today living in the home, this is a special command written just for you. And it's especially true if your your parents are following the Lord Jesus Christ. Honor your father and your mother. And scripture promises you, if you will do this, you will walk in the way of blessing. Listen, you don't have to be able to read your Bible. You don't have to be able to understand my sermons. But this is a special gift that God has just for you. Honor your father and your mother and you will be in the way of blessing. And teenagers that are out there in a world that it becomes, it's becoming increasingly popular to dishonor your parents. You want to stick out amongst a crowd and make an impact for Christ as a teenager. Honor your mom and your dad. Can I get an amen from the parents? Amen. All right. But it is the way of blessing. And some of you, I know, because I've seen you, your parents are aging. I've seen the example of so many of you honoring your parents and making great sacrifices. Listen to me. It may not be easy, but it is the path of no regrets 
and it is the path of blessing. And let me just say to you this morning, I think one of the things that I have been able to see as a pastor is that a lot of times a parent is never truly honored just like this family until the parent dies. And what a shame. What a shame that that parent never experienced the honor of their children, their grandchildren, sometimes great-grandchildren, until they died. And it was a good reminder to me. It ought to be a good reminder to every one of us. We ought to be intentional about honoring our parents while they're still alive. Let's take the moments in intentional ways to honor our parents and to let them know how grateful for them we are, especially, especially if they're people of faith. Honor your father and your mother. Mother's Day weekend is a great time to do it, by the way. But you don't need a special occasion. You know, I just I saw a video of a family that, a 90th birthday for their mother, and the, the family had a celebration, and all the children recorded a video to their mother of what she had meant to them. I thought, how special is that? Unfortunately, I don't see... Oftentimes, those kinds of videos or those kinds of speeches until they're on this stage talking about somebody who's already passed. Don't make the mistake of Jacob and his brothers. Honor your parents in this life while they're here. Secondly, we see this, that they, these, these boys moved forward. We see it in verse 14 that after he had buried his father, Joseph returned to Egypt he and his brothers and all who had gone up with him to bury his fathers. They moved forward. Joseph went back to Egypt. I mean, how do you think that felt for, for Joseph going back to the pit of Egypt, to this pagan land? But he had to move forward. He had to move forward with his life. It, is, it reminded me in, in Psalm 23, I often read it at the graveside of a funeral, but even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I love it that David the psalmist says, we don't sit in the valley of the shadow of death. We keep moving forward. We may walk forward with a bit of a limp. We may be wiping some tears from our eyes, but we must move forward. We must go back to our families and back to our jobs. I have seen far too many people, their lives have been destroyed by the loss of a loved one. And they've never moved forward. Their life is just cratered. And folks, listen to me. That is dishonoring to God and the faith that we hold so dear. And I, when I die, I hope faith and the boys shed a few tears. But then I want them to have some fun. Move forward. Go to the Bahamas. Do something fun. Because listen, I'm with Jesus. I'm, I'm good to go. But the bigger picture that we see here, guess what? We're all going to die. Aren't you glad you came to church today? <laughs> Death is inescapable. It's the final enemy. It's the subplot to the entire Bible. And it's coming for you. It's coming for me. Listen, you can do all kinds of things. And people do some crazy things. You, you, you know, you can exercise every day. Take your vitamins. You can bathe in Rogaine. Color your hair. It don't matter. You can fool a lot of people into thinking that you are younger than you actually are. You know who you can't fool? You can't fool death. 
It's coming for all of us. You can have all the money in the world. Jeff Bezos, Bill Gates, Warren Buffett, Elon Musk, all the money in the world. You know what? It won't help them when it comes to a point of death. You can be the most intelligent person in the world. It won't help you when you come to the moment of death. Death is the great equalizer. The question is, what are you trusting in? People trust in a lot of crazy things. You know, there's a lot of people out there today, probably the most popular, they just believe in annihilationism. You die and you're just annihilated, you're gone, there's nothing. You take your last breath and that's it. Not according to God's word. Every person on this planet will be resurrected. Some of you will be resurrected to eternal life with Christ forever in heaven through your faith in him. But others will be resurrected to eternal life apart from Christ in a place the Bible calls hell. But you are an eternal being. You will spend eternity in one of two places. There's others out there. They believe, it's amazing, he's still very prominent, believe in reincarnation. You're coming back as a dog, heaven forbid, a cat, <laughs> an old oak tree. Listen, Christ was physically raised. And the hope of Jesus Christ is one day I will be physically raised too through my faith in him. I'm not coming back as a cat or a rolling stream I'm coming back Chad McDonald raised with Christ forever in heaven hallelujah amen that is the hope of Christ and the only one that can give you that hope is Christ he's the only God man the only one to live a perfect and sinless life who died on a cross for your sins and for my sins who was confirmed to be God and to be perfect through his resurrection from the dead. So I don't know what you're trusting in, but, but I believe I'll trust in the one who defeated sin, Satan, and death and his death and resurrection and the one who allows me to share in his victory through faith in him. And that victory can be yours. Through faith in Jesus Christ, the fear of death can be removed. You know, Paul said in Corinthians, Oh, death, where's your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Do you know, bees, they got that stinger. But when they put that stinger into somebody or something, they're done. They got no, no power. They're basically, their life's over. They got no more stinger because they let that stinger go and they don't get a new one. That's it. Do you know what Jesus did on the cross? He took the stinger of death for you. And now death has lost its power. That's why Paul said, because we placed our faith in Christ who took the stinger of death and now we say, oh death, where's your victory? Oh death, where's your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus says, I'm the resurrection life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. I don't know what you're trusting today, but I plead with you, trust Christ so that you can say, just like Jacob, I'm going home. Each week, there's some songs as I prepare that come to mind. This week, I got two. 
and I'm going to go over, but that's okay, all right? Nursery workers might get mad at me, but we're going to go. I'm going to give them both to you because I like them both. Two songs. I just, you, you see in this, at the threshing floor of a Todd, they're just over the Jordan. And there's a song that says, I looked over Jordan, and what did I see? You've got to sing it with a southern accent, though, to get a full effect. I looked over Jordan, and what did I see? Coming for to carry me home. A band of angels coming after me, coming for to carry me home. If you get there before I do, coming for to carry me home, tell all my friends, I'm a coming too. Coming for to carry me home. Swing low, sweet chariot. Coming for to carry me home. Swing low, sweet chariot. Coming for to carry me home. And then the other, there in the ground his body lay, light of the world by darkness slain. Then bursting forth in glorious day, up from the grave he rose again. And as he stands in victory, sin's curse has lost its grip on me. For I am his and he is mine, bought with the precious blood of Christ. No guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ, I will stand. Let's pray together. God, we thank you. We thank you because you saw us in our lost condition. You saw us condemned to death. And you did something. You sent your son Jesus. We see shadows of him throughout the Old Testament. All the way back in Genesis. Right after the fall of man. There was this promise that there was this one who was going to come. Going to die in our place. He was going to defeat sin, Satan, and death. All the Old Testament saints trusting and and the one who would come. And now we know he has come. His name is Jesus. Lived a perfect sinless life. Died on a cross in our place. Took the stinger of death. And now he says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. God, I pray if there's anybody here that hasn't entered into the rest of Christ, they've been struggling to earn their salvation, trying to win approval with you through their good works, their church attendance. God, I pray today that they would know there's no amount of good deeds that they could ever do to make themselves right with you. And you knew that. That's why you sent Jesus. He died in their place. And God, I pray that they would see the depth of their sin. They'd see the beauty of their Savior, Jesus, who died for them. They'd place their faith in you. Their sins would be forgiven. The Spirit would be placed in their heart. And they would have the confident knowledge of knowing that one day they will be with you forever in heaven. God, for those of us that do know you, I pray that our lives will be a living testimony to our faith. That we are a group of people who have no fear in life, no fear in death. We're trusting a Savior who's always faithful to his promises. And he's made some really good promises to us about coming to get us and taking us home. So we go to the grave trusting in him and testifying to the grace and the faith that has saved us. Help us to remain strong in a world full of a lot of fear. That God, you are sovereign over our life. You're sovereign over our death. 
We pray this in Jesus' name.